All right, well, we're going to, tonight I'm going to just pick up in Exodus. The last um, couple times, I think I I was trying to, I think I talked about um, how I, I feel like it's helpful to start kind of from a, uh, a big picture view and get kind of an overview. So I basically cover some, some large some big picture concepts and then start um, zooming in a little bit. I'm not going to try to do um, Exodus quite as, um, I mean, I think we're going to spend a lot of weeks on it, but I, 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 I'm not going to try to do it quite as uh, um, verse by verse or, um, I mean, I mean, there's just, there's so much in it. It's almost overwhelming to, to, uh, to try to tackle this book, but um, there, there's a lot of things in the beginning. Okay, well, let me back up for a second. There, there's just so there's so many ways to look at this book, at least in my opinion. You, you can you can look at it. I mean, there's so much here. I mean, here there, there's this obvious God created picture of 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 salvation but you can you can look at it from um a view of like god's got a view of god's eternal purpose what he wants what he's trying to do you can look at it from another view and focus in on the details of of what or or how he did it how he did he bring about what he wanted to do because there's tons of of specific i mean he, he could have he could have brought about the salvation of Israel in any number of ways. He chose a whole bunch of very specific pictures because of what they pointed to, what they what they illustrated, foreshadowed. And so you could focus in on how he did it. You could look at it um, as as the freedom. Uh, f- for, you could focus in on the nature of the freedom. You could focus in on the victory over his enemies. You could look at it. Um, uh, you could focus in on the human heart and the good and the bad of of God or man's response to God's activity, God's gift, God's salvation, God's judgment. Um, you could focus in on, and we're going to try to do all of these to some extent, but I'm just trying to explain why I feel a little bit overwhelmed here. Uh, I just feel like there's so much. I just I go back and I read this book a lot, and. Uh, um, and I just feel like every time it just gets it, it becomes a larger book to me. Um, <clears throat> a huge part of it has to do with the nature of the relationship that was established, uh, a relationship that in every way and every detail and law and ceremony and um, picture points to what it means for us now to be in. Jesus Christ and to relate to the Father, to have Jesus Christ as our covenant, as our relationship with His own Father. And, uh, and, and that's gonna take a lot of time too. So, I don't know, I, I sit back and I look at, okay, where do I wanna start tonight or how do I wanna, I mean, we, we spent a week talking about the nature of slavery because I think that's a huge issue here. Um, kind of like the first half of the book has to do with them coming out of this condition of slavery and much of our salvation has to do with that and it, and it's slavery that I don't think we understand so we talked about that um the next week we talked about i think the the um uh, 
maybe I don't even remember the way that we the, the nature of our relationship maybe with God that he brings us out into or something I can't even remember it was I, I had it kind of divided up into some big picture things and uh at any rate I'm going to start kind of focusing in on some of the things here in the beginning uh this week and 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 I I'm I'm going to be kind of bouncing around a little bit um trying to attack this book with specific subjects in mind. So rather than going like verse to verse, um, as I did kind of in the very beginning of, of Genesis, I kind of went through, okay, let there be light, what's light, you know, and, and we went right through the, uh, well, not, not, not perfectly in order, but we definitely were doing it somewhat in order there. And here I want to, what I want to do is I want to, talk about a particular subject and just, just kind of gather up a bunch of verses from various places in the beginning of Exodus and, and then move on to another subject and gather up those. And um, So I just didn't want to confuse you in how I was doing this. I'm going to be kind of bopping around uh, looking from one perspective to another perspective. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of small little, I mean, not, I mean small in, in my heart in terms of how much I've seen, I guess, uh, little things I could focus on right in the very beginning. You know, there's pictures of, I think, um, uh, Moses as a, as a type of Christ uh, being drawn out of the water, you know, coming as a, it, it even several places in the, New, in the New Testament reference or make, you know, passing comments about him as, um, you know, the sa- picture of Christ and as a savior of, uh, of Israel rejected at first after showing them like a sign of his deliverance by killing the Hebrew. I mean, killing the Hebrew, killing the Egyptian that was beating the Hebrew. Coming back 40 years later, uh, with great judgments and, and all of that. There, there's pictures of, I think, the seed of Satan in Pharaoh, um, in the beginning trying to destroy the seed of Christ and destroying the children. And Herod kind of tries something later, uh, several, Years later, uh, very similar to that in Bethlehem. Um, there's there's lots of little things uh, like that that I could mention, and just just kind of just to say, I think this is kind of a picture of that, or this is kind of a picture of that. But w- where things start to kind of get big, bigger in my heart, and and therefore easier for me to talk about, um, besides just pointing out facts or something, uh, is in Exodus chapter three. And I want to start out just by, and, and I have, um, I have a, a bunch of things written down here. I don't really know exactly what I'll get into tonight. I'm going to start at least by talking about, um, Exodus chapter three. I think there's so much, you know, you know, you know the story. Um, I mean, if you haven't read it in a while, Pharaoh tries to kill all the, Babies, because um, they're multiplying too fast. Moses is born, put in the water, taken out by Pharaoh's uh, daughter, and and all of that. Raised up in the house, and then kills a, an Egyptian and flees the land, and 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 then goes out and lives for forty uh, years. Marries Zipporah. And, and so all that happens really quick. It's just kind of a quick little narrative. And then, and then, then there's the burning bush incident. So that's where, that's where, uh, we pick up here in chapter three. And, um, and, and this is where God begins to speak with Moses about wanting something, uh, wanting to do something, wanting to receive something about God's desire. And, um, 
you know, we we just did. I just did a a, a class, a twelve sessions on the eternal purpose of God, and we talked a little bit about just the fact that God wants something. You know, we don't we don't. I don't think believers uh, usually stop very long and think about the fact that God has created all things and organized all things according to a desire in his heart, a purpose that he has, something that he wants. I think we, we you know, we're, we're, we're born and we just think, you know, we're into, the, into this world that we, we admit God had to have created and we believe in him, but we, we kind of, we kind of don't, I don't know what we think. We think that God's kind of just up there waiting to see what happens, like, you know, he he's he's saying to himself, "Wow, they're a lot worse than I thought they were. Uh, I guess I'll just see how this turns out, or something. Maybe I'll save the good ones, or something like that." And he just, you know, in the meantime, he just kind of wants a certain. If he has a desire, it has to do with a certain kind of human behavior. He wants you to um, kiss babies and um, help the poor and whatever. And uh, uh, nothing against either of those. I I like kissing babies actually, um, but. Um, my point is that there, there's a big picture. There, there's a, there's a motivation behind God's activity with man. There's something moving. Well, I don't want, when I say there's something moving him, um, it's not something outside of him. It's something in him. It's his own being. It's his own nature. You could say, um, you could say there's a motivation in his heart, or you could say his heart is the motivation. There's something in his heart that is him. There's something in him that is him that is that is desiring something. And and I and I mentioned this a little bit in the Eternal Purpose class. I I feel like it's becoming a little bit bigger in my heart and a little more clear. I think you know if you were to if you were to really try to narrow it down to just a couple words that motivate. And, and I know that that's. Um, you know, that's pretty silly to try to do, I guess. But but um, I'm going to try to say it anyway. If I were to put it into a couple of words, what I think motivates God's heart to create, I think it's the nature of God to love and the nature of God to glorify himself. Both of those realities have to be defined by his light or they will be defined by you in the darkness of your own carnal imagination. And that's an extremely scary thing to to, to both of those words, God, the love of God and the glory of God have been and will be naturally uh, distorted, perverted and um man become man-centered. Um what is the object of God's love? Um, what is the love of God? I mean, what is love itself? We don't know the answers to those questions. We we have a human understanding of love, which most of which came from Hollywood, I think, or you know, um, I don't know, some novel we read when we were a kid. But um, that has nothing to do with the love of God. The love of God. It has to be defined as all things in the face of Jesus Christ and the light of Christ. Same with the glory of God. And if I could just just say a couple things about it, and and knowing that I've talked about this somewhat recently, I don't want to go off on this too too long. But but uh, it, it, it there really isn't much bigger of an imp- I mean more important of a topic out there. I don't think 
the the love of God is the nature of God to share himself, to pour out himself, to overflow in the giving of himself. Um, in, 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 in just a few words. Now that, that love is refused by the human heart unless the human heart loses what he calls or she calls herself and receives the life of God as the life of, uh, of, of their soul. You can talk all you want in the body of Christ about the love of God and how much God loves man. But if you're not losing your life to receive his, then you are refusing the love of God. Um, you can put things about God's love all over your church signs and your bumper stickers, but if you're still trying to live in the man that God has rejected, by the life that God has judged and crucified and wants to completely eradicate from your soul, then the love of God to you is a concept. It's an emotion. It's nothing substantial. God's love gives himself at the cost of yourself. If you want to know God's love, then there's a cross that that uh, that will remove the things that prevent you from experiencing God's love. Um, and what we generally like to do is we like to talk, we, we like to think about and, and assume that God's love and affection and purpose is in the very man that he uh, has rejected and, and, and crucified. And um, we could talk about that a lot, you know, and there's a lot of places you could go. You know, you, I, I'd love to go right to the beginning of Malachi because it, it, God says, I have loved you. And the, and the people say, well, then how, how have you loved me? And he goes, here's how I've loved you. Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. And that, that just defines the love of God right there. There's something, there's a nature, there's a kind that receives and experiences the life that God gives. There's another kind, there's another nature that refuses and, 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 uh, and, and rejects the love of God. But that's not the point. The point is, the point is that God's love is this, this reality in His being that desires an object that receives himself. It desires, uh, you could say it desires a people that are, that's filled up with his seed, desires a land that becomes the increase of his harvest, desires a, a kingdom that's conquered by his king, the king of righteousness, desires something that receives all that he is and is liberated from all that he's not. Uh, that's something about the love of God. But what does the love of God do in you? The love of God uh, gives you an end to everything that is contrary to Him, and fills you up with everything that is Him, and uh, and and that's that. I think that aspect of His nature um, is a huge part of the motivation for Him to create um, and to redeem. Um, he doesn't, uh, there's uh, so many, well, I won't get into that, it's a little rabbit trail I won't take. The, 
the other thing that I wanted to mention is that is God, the other part of God's nature, and, and I'm sure there's a million things I'm not seeing here, but the, the other really huge thing that stands out to me every time I, I seem to ask a question in my heart of why, whenever any light comes to the to the question of why, these two words, love and glory, are, are are kind of what seems to come into focus. And glory is this desire of God to um, to magnify that is to to show, reveal, make known. Um, um to to cause all that he is it's not really separate from love i guess love and glory in some ways overlap i think but it's to to glorify himself is to make himself known it's to reveal himself it's to cause others to come into the knowing and seeing and experiencing of him and that's how God glorified himself in the Old Testament, as Paul talks about in Second Corinthians chapter 3. He glorified himself in, in, a, in a lesser kind of glory. He glorified himself in natural things that expressed who he was. You know, he, he, he opens up the Red Sea and crushes a bunch of uh, um, Egyptians while letting the Israelites go. And he says, I have glorified myself in, in this, you know, in this, in this thing. Or he, you know, he has this big fire fall or whatever, a cloud appear or something, and, it, and he calls it his glory. Why is it called his glory? Because it is, it is bringing something of him into the expression, I mean, into the, into the experience and, 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 um, and sight or knowing of, of, of someone else, his people. And so, um, I don't know if that strikes you guys with any real um, force, but I think it. If it doesn't yet, I think it will. The fact that God is is um, God's nature is to give Himself and cause Himself to be known, and therefore eternal life is the knowing of the One who gives Himself. It's kind of what Jesus said in John seventeen three. You know, this is eternal life to know. You, God, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, whom he has given, whom he has caused to be the life and the light and the redemption and wisdom and whatever of, of, of all who receive him. And um, so that's, now why am I talking about that? I'm talking about that because that's what I see these days when I start to read Exodus. I see I see that God um he 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 he's got a people that were born in you know four hundred years in slavery. He's got a people that were born um slaves to sin. Dead in sin and transgression, you know, and and, and he's he's trying to show us who now read the story that's what that's what Paul says in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where he says these things speaking of the exodus these things were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come the end of that age of shadows and pictures and natural testimonies and so he's trying to show us he's trying to to demonstrate to us that um well, what, what, what he's all about, who he is and what he's all about. And so he meets with this man named Moses and he starts to deal with this man named Moses in the same way, in a type and shadow picturey way, but in the same way that he's going to deal with his own son. He's going to, he's going to call his own son and send him into a hostile world of slavery and, and, and oppression. 
that's ruled by another king. And he's going to offer an exodus through death. And, um, and he's going to bring those people out of one realm and life and nature and, and, um, kind kingdom and bring them into another. And he's going to do it through the work of three days. Death, burial, and resurrection. And he's going to bring them into a relationship that death cannot really touch, except to the extent that it continues to rule in our hearts, even when we're out of the land of sin and death. And he's going to... He's going to cause that people, the ones who enter into that death, to come into a relationship where they can actually offer him something that he wants. Um, and so, that's, you, you, you may think that, you may not have read, uh, Exodus chapter 3 recently, but that's, and, and 4, but that's exactly what he says right here. Everything I just said is in that chapter. Um, um, so, uh, let's see, I, I, a little bit, like I, like I said in the beginning, I'm a little bit, uh, overwhelmed with the bigness of Exodus right now. Exodus, the story of Exodus and, and this and what God begins to deal with Moses about here in Exodus three and four, it's the story of God loving the world in such a way that He gives His only Son to be the death and then the life, to be the judgment, and then and then also the resurrection of those who want to come out and become a corporate body of glory, a corporate body that is a fragrance of Christ unto the Father, a body that actually becomes the increase of, 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 of one seed, the increase of his harvest. That's what this is about. It's about God, um, it's about God giving himself to a people in such a way that it actually transforms, it removes from them the living principle that they have called life and gives them a new one. It, it actually takes the leaven. This is impossible without a divine work, but it actually takes the leaven out of the, the loaf. It actually takes sin out of, it actually removes the leaven from the loaf. Now you go ahead and try to do that with a pair of tweezers and a microscope. And I think you'll find that impossible, but that's exactly, I mean, to take, to take leaven out of bread, but that's exactly what God ended up with. He came, he ended up with a, a transformed loaf. Uh, a completely un, unleavened loaf. And, um, and all, all these pictures are right here. You know, they're all, if, if, when you, when the, when you have eyes to see them, when the Lord begins to open the eye of faith, the eye of light, the eye that sees real light, then these are, these are the things that start jumping out of this story. Um, so God, God's dealing with Moses is, is like sending Christ into this, um, this, 
into this world that that was groaning, but not even understanding the nature of its own slavery. I spent, I think, a whole week talking about that uh, a few weeks ago. Just that they, th- though they didn't like some aspects of their slavery, they loved other aspects, and we're exactly the same way. We don't, we don't really know what to do with sin. Uh, we hate it and love it at the same time. We 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 don't understand the nature of our slavery. But God did, and God understood their groaning, even though they didn't understand it. And um, and so he he calls this man to make a a round trip journey. And there's lots of pictures of this round trip journey. I think we've talked about it before. We talked about it with Jacob, how he starts with his father. He starts at Bethel. He goes into this hostile land. Same story, different pictures uh, of Laban. Gathers together an increase to himself, you know, Rachel and Leah and the goats and all that. He comes back to the place where he started. He goes, takes them back to his father, and and there's a division there where Laban cannot persecute, they cannot chase him out past the, you know, past the Red Sea in this story, but past the the division, the pile of rocks that they make. Where God says, you can't say anything to Jacob, good or bad. And in, in this story, you know, it comes out and it's the Red Sea and the, and the Egyptians can't go past it. But my point is that, you know, there's this round trip journey. And um, it's the same thing. And I think uh, Isaac, you know, I, I can't remember how many we've talked about already, but I, I the one, another one pops in my head is the story of Isaac. You know, uh, Isaac's not going back there, but but the the spirit of god or the messenger goes out from abraham and isaac and and bring, get, gathers this bride and then brings brings her back to where they started and that's a that's an awesome picture of our salvation christ comes out the the word of the lord uh, the arm of the lord and gathers the people unto himself brings them back to where you know father i am in you you are in me and i am in them or however that goes and um you know, I'm, I'm I'm preparing a place uh, for for them and you through the cross, and 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 so that where I am there, they can be too. And we always carnalize that and make it future and make it about natural mansions and and, and pearly gates and you know whatever. But the um, that's about a that's about a union of life that Christ comes out from, gathers the people back into, and. And so is this story, and 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 so it's easy to read over the fact that it's a round trip journey. But if you read here in Exodus chapter three verse twelve, he says, "God speaking to Moses says, I will, um, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Now, sometimes <clears throat> we don't realize that Moses. The burning bush thing actually happened at Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb. It's uh, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are, seem to be used interchangeably throughout the Old Testament. Some people say that um, Horeb is the name of the mountain range, and Sinai is the particular mountain that God descended on. Some people say that Horeb and Sinai are just the exact same mountain itself. Um, either way, they're they're spoken of interchangeably throughout Scripture. Horeb and, and Sinai. So the burning bush thing happens at Horeb, and God brings um, brings them back to that same mountain 
that's the mountain where he enters into covenant. That's the mountain that they sur- that, that Moses goes up on and they surround, comes back down and they puts the pillars up around it and then God descends in the fire and then they go after the blood, they go into the mountain, you know, and, and, and they, 70 of them go up the mountain with Moses and they eat with God, they drink with God, they see God, they eat, they drink, they see. And, uh, and so they go to the very place that Moses came from. And that's exactly what Christ does. Um, and, um, and, and right here in the middle, see, right here in the middle of this thing is this, uh, this awesome v- verse where, um, God says his name. He starts to, he tells, you know, Moses says, what should I, who should I tell him? You know, he sent me. And, and, uh, and he says, well, here, here's, here's what you should call. Here's what you can know me as. You know, what is, what is a name? What's, what's the name of God? Um, you, you should not, when you're looking at na- names, uh, the, the word name in the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, we, you shouldn't, na- names are so, uh, in, in the natural realm, they're just more or less just titles. They're just kind of like points of reference for identifying something or someone, you know, like I am Jason. Um, that means nothing. I'm not like, you, you wouldn't say that like Jason is a, is, is a nature or a being or a substance or, you know, that's not, but what, that is what exactly what names are and what they mean in the Bible. When Jesus, for instance, puts a name on Peter, I mean, on, on Simon and calls him Peter, he's defining him as one of the stones that will be built into the living habitation of God, you know, the living stones. He's not just saying, you know what, I like the name Peter better than Simon. It kind of sounds like, I don't know, you know, that game Simon Says, or I don't know. It's not like he's trying to just change the title. He's trying to define the the being, define the purpose. He's putting a name on it, you know, and, uh, and, he, and, and so, you know, when God, well, a little bit later in Exodus, God declares his name to Moses on top of the mountain, Exodus 33 or 34. And he said, he comes down and, and what does he say? He says, I'm going to just declare my name to you. And then he comes down and he doesn't just say, God, you know, there you go. I declared my name. No, he says, the Lord, the Lord your God, he is, you know, good at showing love to thousands, not uh, failing to punish iniquity, you know, merciful, blah, blah, blah. He just gives this list of like, be the attributes of his being of of his of his nature and um <clears throat> and that's how it is too when, when Jesus declares the name of God he is making known the being the nature the attributes the the, the reality behind who who God is Jesus says things like i have made manifest your name to these who you have given me um and that's again that's the that's the expressing of of that person it's the actual communication of the being of god well so god 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 wants moses you know so moses says what's your name and i don't know what moses was probably moses was thinking more along the lines of like what should i tell you know how should i how should i refer to you to to the israelites when they ask me but god gives them you know more than uh that he says he says you know the, the famous i am i am who i am and um i just uh, i i'd love that too i i i don't want to just skip over that really fast either but just because 
what what I think God is doing there is just is by saying I am who he, who I am. Um, you know, you read some commentator sometimes they say, well, that just he's just saying that he's always exists, always existed, or he's 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 the ever existing one, the I am. You know, and and, and I'm sure there's truth to that too. But I I think what what he's actually more than that, he's saying that that he is the he's the living substance the source of all things that he has given visible expression to and and specifically in the case of Moses and the Israelites he's the i am he's the substance the actual spiritual reality behind everything that they that he is he is going to show them every single thing in other words if you were looking at the door with blood on it, God could say to that door, or about that door, I am. I am. If you're looking at the division of the Red Sea, God could stop right there and, and say, you know what? I am. I'm that. That's me. If you're looking at the death of the firstborn, he, or, or, or the salvation of the, or the, of the firstborn, of, 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 you know, the, there's, the, there's a death and there's a, there's a great judgment and a great salvation in the same night. God could look at those and say, I am. I am that, you know. If you go to the other side of the, um, the Red Sea and pick, pick a story, you know, the manna falling from heaven, Jesus actually said, I am that. Uh, the water coming out of the rock. The New Testament again says Jesus is that. You know, the the fire that descends on the mountain, the tabernacle, the altar, the bronze altar, the golden altar, the the ark of the covenant, the showbread, uh, the high priest, uh, the scapegoat, the boundaries of Israel. Pick anything and everything that God is showing them everything that he's giving physical form to the visible things are coming out from something which is not seen the visible things are being shown in a, in a visible way to naturalize but they come all of them come from this this life this this living substance called the I am and and so and when the I am became a man that's what he kept saying about everything you know that's what Jesus kept doing he kept walking around saying I am I'm this you know I'm the door I'm the bread I'm the good shepherd I'm whatever he he just kept he kept doing that gathering up all these pictures so it's so it's kind of like God before he started making all those pictures and Israel calls himself the I am at the at the at the at the conclusion of those types and shadows the end of that age Jesus comes and in case you missed it <laughs> that was all pointing to me that's i am he's the i am of of everything that um that he shows them and and just so you know some people don't don't realize this whenever you see i mean some bibles translate um the name of the lord in the old testament jehovah but mo- most of them which is which is the you know it's kind of a hebrew transliteration almost kind of of uh of i am yahweh is another one but most of the most of the bibles in english just capitalize whenever you see lord in all caps in the old testament and um that that's the word that's the hebrew 
Oh, that's the way that they translate the Hebrew um, name I am into English. That's the way that they represent it. Instead of writing out Jehovah or instead of writing out Yahweh, um, not exactly, actually, I'm not exactly sure what the motivation is for not writing out those. Some some translations do put those, but most translations, it seems to me, uh, just write Lord in all caps. And then if it's another word, um, if it's if it's if it's not this Yahweh or this I am word, then it'll have Lord. There's several words for God, but it'll have you know Lord with just a capital L and the rest are lowercase, and that's a different word. But whenever you see the all caps, that's that's I am. So when it says like the Lord your God, what it's really what it's really saying is Yahweh your God. You know what I'm saying? Or Jehovah your God, or I am your God has appeared to me. I am your God has appeared to me. Just that's just an FYI for you to, as you read through the Old Testament, to notice that. All right, um, what time is that? Oh boy. Um, okay, so getting back to the big picture. So God, God is sending in Moses and Aaron. An incident. Well, maybe I'll leave that for now. I don't know. I was going to say something about the two witnesses and how there's always. It seems to be always too that that well. Just real briefly, there, there, it just there's a lot of stories, and I don't know much, much what to do with this, but there there's a lot of stories where there's God, God's to 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 manifest His judgment and and salvation. Um, there's like there's two witnesses involved. There's two witnesses here with Moses and Aaron. There's two witnesses with Lot and. Um, and Sodom, there's two witnesses with Jericho, the, the two spies that go in there. Um, I have a list of them somewhere, but it's just kind of interesting. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. It's, it goes all the way to Revelation, Book of Revelation. But <clears throat> um, the the uh, God sending. Okay, so going back to this, God sending Moses in, and he's and he's describing to him what. Is going to happen, and and that, and he tells him a few really important things right here in the beginning. One of the things he tells him seems like a contradiction to itself, um, and and yet it's not. It's it's just a, one of those divine perspective things that um, that really kind of conflict with our natural minds. In, in verse chapter three, verse seventeen, he tells them. He tells Moses, "I'm bringing you out, and I'm taking you to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the uh, Jebusite and the whateverite." And it tells them that you know you're you're getting out, and you're going to this land, and and yet he then in verse eighteen he says this. Um, then they will heed your voice, and you shall come. You, sh- you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, you shall say to him, "The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God." And he repeats that several times. This thing about a three-day. I mean, it pops up in the next, you know, few verses or chapters, and and, and elsewhere as well. Three days journey, and 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 that's that's I I I don't know about 
you guys, but that used to, I remember when that struck me back when I, I, I didn't really understand what I was reading very much at all. And I remember thinking, that's, it's, God's kind of like tricking him or something. I mean, that's, that's not really honest to say three days when it's, when he, he just told them they're, they're going all the way to Canaan and, and that's a long way. And it took him 40 years just to, you know, go in and three days, it's kind of like, he's kind of trying to, I don't know, trying to, trying to pull the, the wool over uh, Pharaoh's eyes or something. But that's not it at all. Three days after three, the three, three days as always, as we've seen, I think we've already seen it in a, a number of, um, I can't remember which ones. Oh yeah, we have seen it. We have seen it in Genesis a number of times uh, already. Three days is a picture of the work of the cross. It's the, it's the three days of, of Christ's work. You know, the son of man will be three days in the belly of the earth, you know, and, and the third day he will rise again, three days. Christ was always talking about those three days because the old, you know, just as the, he's, and he even said, just as the scripture, scripture said, three days he will rise again. Where does the scripture say it? Everywhere. That's where it says it. I mean, it says it really clearly in a few places, but it says it in a billion types and shadows. You know, it's not just the three days of three days of, of Hosea six or the three days in, in Jonah and the whale. I mean, there's a few of them that are super obvious. Um, this one is just one more. The three days are the are the death, burial, and resurrection as the finished work of the cross. And as far as God's concerned. After those three days, there's no Egypt to go back to. It is a three-day journey, but those those three days bring them out of one world and into another, out of one man and into another. Those those three days end their relationship with Egypt. Judge leave leave Egypt judged and left behind. There's nothing left after those three days, and and the only thing that 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 for Israel, you know, from um, from Israel's perspective is whether they'll let the reality of what God completed in three days become a present reality in their heart, or whether they'll continue to serve uh, Egypt, Pharaoh, in their hearts, even though God has completed his three-day perfect work. But from God's perspective, the whole journey is, there's, there's nowhere else to go. After the three days, it's just a matter of learning, walking in, experiencing the the greatness of what he accomplished in those three days. There's, there's no need for a fourth day. You know, it's just everything is done in those three days. And the journey of the human soul, as we saw with Abraham when he uh, when he got into the land, the, his journey, his trip to the promised land was described in half a verse. His learning the promised land, abiding in the promised land, staying in the promised land, lifting up his eyes and 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 seeing the greatness of the promised land, that was the rest of his life. The journey of the Christian soul isn't getting to the finished work. It's seeing, abiding in, living in, knowing the finished work of, of Christ. So that what's real to God becomes the reality of our soul. And so in three days, there, you've come to the you truly have come into the the work of God and yet what's the wilderness or what's the increase in the promised land or what are all these other pictures that happen well that all of that i think has to do with your soul being dealt with by God in such a way that what's true and real to him because of the three day work of the cross becomes your present reality in his light I think that's what that's what it's all about. And so he wasn't tricking 
Pharaoh with these words. He was just stating it as he sees it. Tell them it's about, here's what it's about. It's about, this is what I want from Pharaoh. I'm going to take you guys three days into a completely different place. And here's the reason. So, and I think it says it here. Yes, that we may offer sacrifices unto the Lord our God. Another place it says that we may offer the sacrifices that are pleasing to our Lord. So, um, th- that's just, um, remember, remember in the beginning, uh, a few minutes ago, I talked about how, why does God bring a people out? Well, it's, you know, he says here to offer sac. It's it's so it's not because he ever liked. And Hebrews tells us this plainly. He never liked the blood of bulls and goats and the smell of burning flesh and the burning kidneys and the lobe of the liver and all that stuff that represented Christ. What he actually wanted was to take this body and to to bring it out of a land that in which they could not worship the Lord, in which they could offer nothing pleasing to his nostrils, pleasing to his sight. In fact, one time Pharaoh actually says, why don't you just offer the sacrifices to your God here in Egypt? And and Moses says, no, that's an abomination. Remember that place? Well, you know, you could say, that to the Adamic man, you know, why, why do you have to leave the Adamic man, the natural man, the land of sin and death? Why do you have to come out and abide in Christ and have Christ formed in you and have the nature and person and fragrance of Christ formed in you? Why can't Adam just do something to please God? And God would say, that's an, that's an abomination. You have to come out of that man. There's nothing in that man that I can accept. That there's nothing, there's nothing in Adam that, that, that even understands or, or appreciates the, or, or sees the things of Christ. And there's nothing in Christ that accepts the things of Adam. There's, there are two separate worlds. There are two separate men. There are two separate realities. You have to come out of the one and into the other to offer the sacrifices because the sacrifices that are pleasing to God aren't just a bunch of dead animals. They're the, they're the pictures of, of Jesus Christ. It's the pattern. Make sure you do all of this according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain, Moses. Do it according to the pattern. Seven times he tells Moses, according to the pattern, according to the pattern. And, and, and what's the pattern? Well, the pattern's Christ. It's a pattern of Christ. It's, it's that which represents Christ. And so when he takes him out three days into the, the wilderness, it's for a reason. And that reason is that they would actually bear in themselves the, the sweet smelling fragrance, the increase, the aroma, the, the sacrifice and the offering, the wave offering, the, the, even the tithe was a picture of this. The tithe, the increase of Christ. They were both living on him and they were also bearing his increase unto their God. So what is Israel? Israel is, and we're probably not going to get to this verse tonight, I can tell. But in chapter 4, God says, Israel is my son. But what's the purpose of bringing this people out? What, what's, what does God want from them? He wants them to glorify him by by being a corporate body that bears his fragrance a, a 
people in whom God is made known and magnified, a people in whom God has revealed himself. And, and again, of course, in the Old Testament, we're, all, we're always talking about pictures and shadows. And, but, but nevertheless, it's the same purpose. It's the same thing that God is trying to do in you now through his son. He's trying to, he, he, what does he want? What does he want with man? Why, why, like the psalmist says, what is your interest in man? Well, it's to bring you out and to bring you into something else and to make you into a kingdom of priests, to make you into this, this kingdom that bears my increase and gives off my fragrance. That's what I want. I'm going to give myself fully to a people that are going to be filled up to the fullness of God and give off my give off my fragrance and my glory that are going to be a light that are going to be a particular aroma which some to some will be life and to others will be death you know it's paul saying we are the fragrance of christ unto god a fragrance that is life to some and death to others nevertheless it's what god recognizes to be his son and so, and I need to wrap up here. I see, but <clears throat> um, he—he—that's th- just the purpose here. He's going in. What's he going in for? Is it just because there are sad people that are having a hard time? I guarantee there was lots of people having a hard time, and lots of nations, and lots of oppressive leaders. That's not the—that's not the real motivation here. God, God wasn't just his 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 goal. He works in the natural to bring into the spiritual. And, and the signs and the wonders he does in the natural are always to point to the spiritual. And we'll get to that too next time when we look at the signs he tells Moses with the staff and the leper's hand and all of that and the blood. But the the purpose is God's purpose. And, and the desire of God is to bring out Israel, my son, the first fruit of my increase, to offer up sacrifices acceptable to the Lord your God. So I'll stop with that and... uh